In 334 BC, Alexander the Great launched a series of military campaigns against the great Persian Empire of Darius III that eventually turned into a conquest that stretched from Greece all the way to India. It had always been the dream of Alexander's father, Philip, king of Macedon, to unite the people that lived around the Aegean Sea, having them share one superpower, one language, one culture, one people. But in 10 years, Alexander not only conquered what is now called Greece and Turkey, and then conquered Persia, but he conquered the countries of Anatolia, Syria, Phoenicia, Judea, Gaza, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and extended his kingdom as far as Punjab, India. But in 323 BC, Alexander fell ill and died, leaving his vast empire to be fought over by his generals, associates, friends, and their proxies. Eventually, the map of these kingdoms, what Alexander left behind, looked like that. To the north of Israel, one of Alexander's generals by the name of Seleucus founded the Seleucid Empire, and another general by the name of Ptolemy took control of Egypt in northern Africa. And what little country stood in between these two superpowers? That would be Israel. You all flunked geography. For the next 150 years, these two countries would fight back and forth, ultimately trying to gain control of Israel, because if you can control Israel, you control the vantage point to launch an attack on each other. And around 175 B.C., 180 years before Jesus, a Seleucid king from the north by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV launched a campaign of terror through Israel in his attempt to conquer Egypt. And that's when the atrocities began. Antiochus Epiphanes sent his armies to loot the temple and carry away its treasures. He made it illegal for anyone in Israel to practice their religion. They were forced to leave behind the Jewish customs of Sabbath observance, of circumcision, of kosher food laws, upon threat of death. He knew that if he could make everyone speak Greek, worship Greek gods, and follow Greek customs, they would be much easier to control, much like what we did here in America with Native Americans. Pagan altars were set up throughout the land. People were ordered to worship Zeus. A Greek gymnasium was built next to the temple where men wrestled naked which was a shame for Jews, and it was a double shame because it exposed the lack of circumcision by the people who were wrestling. Orgies took place in the Jewish temples and in the Jewish temple and its precincts. A pagan statue was erected in the Holy of Holies, and pigs, considered unclean by Jews, were slaughtered on the Holy of Holies. Masses of Jews abandoned the religion and became pagan Greeks for fear of being killed. And Jewish soldiers, soldiers were killed on the Sabbath because they refused to fight on that holy day. Like in the Holocaust, this was a cleansing. When women were caught circumcising their young boys, they were murdered and their babies' throats were slit and hung around their mother's necks as a warning to everyone else. 
the book of Daniel calls these acts the abomination that causes desolation. Well, just like in all other times in Scripture, when God's way of living is under assault, there were Jews who were faithful to Yahweh who would not bow their knees. One of them was a man by the name of Matthias, a priest who lived with his five sons outside Jerusalem. One day soldiers came to his village and asked Matthias to come forward in front of everyone and worship a pagan idol as a tribute ultimately to Antiochus Epiphanes, but Matthias refused. And while he was giving a speech encouraging everyone to stay faithful to Yahweh, knowing that they were going to get slaughtered on the spot, some well-good doer in the village stepped forward and offered worship to the pagan idol. And when Matthias saw this, he grabbed a sword and ran him through. When his five sons saw this, they grabbed swords and slaughtered the soldiers that were there on the spot, and that became what became known as the Maccabean Revolt. His son Judah led this insurgency, and he was given the name Judah Maccabee, Judah the Hammer. And for the next seven years, Judah Maccabee led raids and traps and decoys and battles and plundered, and they did exactly what George Washington did with the Patriots against the British during the Revolutionary War. They eventually overthrew the Seleucids, killed the collaborators, and took their country back. They destroyed the pagan shrines throughout the land. They disleveled the gymnasium that was next to the temple, destroyed the pagan statue of Zeus in the temple, cleansed the temple and rededicated it back to Yahweh. And then they lit a menorah, a symbol of the Jewish way of life. And even though there had only been enough sacred oil to burn for one day, miraculously, it was said, it burned for eight. Jews during Jesus' time all the way to today celebrate this revolt and the miracle of that oil that lasted. It's called the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. I go through all of this to make this point. The people who didn't buckle to forced conversion by the Greeks during this time, the people who stayed faithful to Yahweh, they were called the Hasidim, the pious ones. We get our word Hasidic. If you've seen Hasidic Jews with black hats and black dress and tassels where they're bobbing back and forth as they're praying and as they're reading Scripture. The Hasidim, the pious ones, were the Jews during this time who faithfully observed kosher laws and circumcision and obeyed the Sabbath. They were the heroes who were willing to die rather than lose their entire way of life. But eventually, these people and their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids became the people who eventually became, two centuries later, the very people who wanted to kill Jesus. Because Jesus, just like the Greeks, threatened their way of life. The Hasidim, the heroes, the maintainers of faithful Jewish practice, we know them today by the name in Scripture, the Pharisees. We're starting a new series today called Via Crucis, which is Latin for the way of the cross. And what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks in preparation for Easter is we're going to follow in the Gospel of Matthew the Scriptures 
that talk about the turn that was made when people went from thinking that Jesus was a nice teacher who was going to meet their needs to someone that needed to be killed. Now, I want everybody to follow along in your Bibles. If you're new here today, we want to welcome you, obviously. Um, on your way in, there were always carts where there were Bibles there. We want you to grab those and take those. In all of our services, we always open up the Bible and we read it and apply it to our life today. And so if you want to have one of those, they're free. Just take them. They're our gift to you. Gift to you. And also, if you're like a digital person, you want to read today's scripture on the phone that we're going to look at, you can download our app. You can go to the uh, App Store, Google Play, type in CCV Mobile, go to the top right where it says Bible, and that's where we're going to find our passage there. Can I just pause and ask, how are your March Madness brackets doing, by the way? Um, I'm, I'm currently right now in our staff pool. I'm in sixth place. I am, I am losing to people who picked teams based on whether they wanted to vacation in the cities where their colleges are. So uh, these are, and I just want to admit, these are some pretty boring games to watch until we get down to the final four. It's, Matthew chapter 12 is the scripture we're going to look at today, and it tells two back-to-back stories of encounters between Jesus and religious leaders, Hasidim, over the Sabbath. And I want you to note that this is the first time, the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus went from being a popular preacher to someone that the religious leaders thought was a threat and they needed to kill him. Verse 1 begins, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. Makes sense? When the Pharisees, when they saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's unlawful to eat on the Sabbath. New Testament scholar Grant Osborne points out that unlike today, roads in the ancient world went right through fields, not around them. And so it was very easy for Jesus and his disciples, while they were walking, to simply reach out on the right and to reach out on the left and pick food. But the Pharisees, the pious ones, went nuts over this because they did it on the Sabbath. Jesus then says, if you think that's bad, let me tell you something. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, You would have not condemned the innocent, us, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, my question to you is, if your great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather died in the Maccabean Revolt defending the sacred honor of the Sabbath, what would you think about Jesus saying that here is this Jewish man saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath? You would have immediately thought, oh, no, 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 we've been down this road before, We know how we deal with people with you. What do you mean you're Lord of the Sabbath? Are you greater than God who gave us the Sabbath? Only God is greater than the Sabbath. He's the one who gave it to us. And you're greater than the temple, the place where God lives? If you were a faithful Jew, what would you have been thinking about that? Now, keeping Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments given by God to Moses. If you remember, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to literally stop. And God's command is on this day, you're not going to work. But the question is, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? 
That was a question that the Hasidim, the pious ones, eventually turned into the Pharisees, wrestled with before Jesus ever came on the scene. And so they wrote down their answers. There's one book written roughly 100 years before Jesus came called the Book of Jubilees, where one holy person said, this is how you, this is how you keep the Sabbath holy. You shall do no work on the Sabbath day, only what you have prepared for yourselves on the sixth day shall you eat and drink. And any man who does any work on the Sabbath days or goes on a journey, like Jesus and his disciples, the man who does any of these things on the Sabbath shall what? Shall die. Why shall they die? Because we've seen this movie before. We just went through this with our great-grandparents, and we're not going to let this happen again. We're not going to let people make unsacred what God has made sacred, the Sabbath. In other words, if you're going to eat on the Sabbath, you have to make all your food the day before. So Jesus goes and he breaks this custom. This past summer, I was in Jerusalem, and on Friday at 4 o'clock in Jerusalem, we're walking with our group, and this huge siren goes off like the... uh, cooling tower siren goes off. And I'm immediately thinking to myself that this is a, a, a siren meant to protect the residents of Jerusalem. Like there's some insurgency attack going on. And I said, is it terrorists? And she says, no, the Sabbath. So at four o'clock, there's this siren that goes all the way throughout Jerusalem, warning everybody, letting them know that the Sabbath is coming. Get home, get your food, get ready because tomorrow everything is going to be shut down. The next day, Saturday morning, I realized I needed to make a tuition payment by the end of the day on Saturday for my youngest daughter's college tuition. I had forgot that before I left to go on the trip, so she texted me, Dad, I can't register for my classes until you pay for that. And so I went downstairs. I couldn't do that on my, on my phone, uh, something about the Wi-Fi. So I went downstairs and I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm trying to use the computers down here, but they won't let me. And he looked at me and said, well, that's because it's the Sabbath. And I said, well, that's okay. I'm not Jewish. And he said, <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter. Nobody uses them on the Sabbath. I'm like, no, seriously, I'm not Jewish. I, I'm cool. I'm cool. I respect that but I need to use the computers. He said, no, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to do that. I said, I'm telling you right now, in the most loving way possible, I'm going to use that computer. And he said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. And he was like, listen, I'm not Jewish. I think this whole Shabbat thing is stupid, okay? (laughs) He said, but if you use that computer, I'm going to get fired. I'm like, I need to make a transfer of funds right now. And he looked at me and he said, come here, I'll take you to the back. There isn't a camera there, and I'll let you use that computer. (laughs) That's the Shabbat. You will keep it holy. But who determines what it means to be holy? Who determines whether your practice of the Sabbath is God's intent for how you keep the Sabbath versus this other person's? Verse 9 goes on, and Matthew tells us another. He's telling us two back-to-back stories of encounters on the Sabbath. Verse 9 tells us another one. Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. I want you to imagine in a culture where everybody made their living via manual labor with their hands, what it would be like to work with one hand. 
A man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, you're a healer. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? My aunt had a disease called scleroderma. Literally, you could draw a line through half of her body, and on the right side of her body, it was completely shriveled, and the left side of her body, completely normal. While she lived, she was salesperson of the year for AT&T. She was absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But in the first century, there's a really good chance, if not for the compassion of other people, she would have turned into a prostitute, or she would eventually starve to death. Jesus looked at this man with one withered hand, and just like the gospel says, he had compassion on this man. But the religious leaders, the Hasidim, they wanted to turn it into a debate. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, what do you think? If you're a farmer and you had a sheep and it falls into a ditch... All of the religious people are telling you, you can't do any work grabbing that out of the ditch. Would you listen to them? How much more, Kawahamer, Jesus says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Take the example of a sheep. What is more valuable than a sheep? A person is more valuable than a sheep. Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There was once a group of Jews that lived through the Maccabean revolt. And once they cleansed the temple and reinstituted faithful Judaism, they didn't think the fundamentalists were conservative enough. So they went out into the desert. Jose- uh, um, um, Philo and Josephus called these people the Essenes. We know them as the people that lived in the Dead Sea because they produced manuscripts that were found that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. They weren't script, they weren't, the people in Jerusalem that took back over Jerusalem, they weren't even conservative enough. In one document called the Damascus document, these Jewish people said, no man shall walk or abroad to do business on the Sabbath. He shall not walk more than, more than 1,000 cubits beyond his town. No man shall eat on the Sabbath except that which is already prepared. He shall eat nothing lying in the fields. No father shall carry a child while coming and going on the Sabbath. No man shall assist an animal to give birth on the Sabbath day. And if it should fall into a cistern or pit, he shall not lift it out on the Sabbath. Jesus, knowing what they were saying, shared two profound theological words in response to the Pharisees. You want to write this down? He said, that's stupid. (laughs) How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And embarrassed in front of everyone, he pulled it out from underneath a cloth and stretched out his hand. Jesus, having compassion on him, looked at him and healed him. And then it said, for the very first time in the Gospel of Matthew, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. What does this mean to us? Let me share two things. Number one, Jesus hates it when people go through the religious motions 
Some of you come from church backgrounds where you were told to stand up, sit down, say this, memorize this, pray this memorized prayer, repeat that, and as soon as you finished a class or were baptized, you pieced out of there as fast as you could, and you haven't been back to church since. For some of you, this is the first time you've been back to church, and it's not that you're opposed to God. You're just like, I don't get it. This formality, these, these rules, it's all about rituals. Jesus is about having a tangible, real, 24-7 friendship. I get you through life. I can actually feel you when I'm talking to you and praying, making a difference in my life Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday in church for an hour, kind of a relation. The, the Hasidim, that all controlled and measured out. There's no heart in it. What we learn in this passage leading to the cross is that Jesus eventually got killed because he wanted you to know God and not just know about God. He cares about you. You, how you feel. Not just rules that you keep because you think other people want you to do that, which leads to the second thing I want to say. Don't create a rule when God only taught a principle. Please understand this. Don't create a rule when God only taught a principle. When God said, keep the Sabbath holy, that was a principle. Meant to protect human beings and make sure that they rested. Some of you are breaking that principle. We live in a culture where it is celebrated for you to be a workaholic. Not according to God. The reason God didn't give a long list of rules of how to obey the Sabbath is because God was saying, use your best judgment and what works best for you. Keep the Sabbath. We keep principles. They are God's word. He is our Lord in Christian theology. He is our Lord, our master. We are slaves of Christ, it says in Scripture. We obey everything, but we obey the principle. But he looks at you and says, man, you know what? If you're working on Friday night, because that's the only time you could get a job, take another day during the week of Shabbat where you stop. It's the principle of rest. It's not this rule and this law where to condemn each other. Listen, some of you came from churches where you were hurt because people in those churches, like the Pharisees, created rules. They created rules instead of focusing on relationship. I have a friend that um, went to a church that's well represented in this area and got divorced. And when, came, when she came back, the priest said, you can't take communion. That may not be your issue, but you did something, you said something, something happened. And you were given this. I just want to say on behalf of Jesus, I genuinely want to say I'm sorry on behalf of those people. Listen, I want to finish by reading a quote from one of my favorite authors, but it has a swear word in it, so I had to change it. Because <laughs> I know those of you who are here, you've never heard swear words. And so I just want you to feel the pain in her words. We did change it, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. I don't want to read it as if it's changed and it's not changed. I get 7,000 emails, okay? 
I just want you to feel the pain in her words as she speaks for millions of people who have been hurt by rule-making and keeping Christians. Cheryl Strait in her book Brave Enough wrote, We are all entitled to our opinions and religious beliefs, but we are not entitled to make crap up and then use the crap we made up to oppress other people. Christian history is littered with stories of people who once they became a majority became oppressors who created rules to obey instead of principles to follow. And Jesus hated this because of how rules are always used ultimately to hurt people like the man with the shriveled hand or his disciples who were just genuinely hungry on the Sabbath. And what eventually got Jesus killed is he stood up and said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And I want to have a relationship with you. No more rules. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us, guiding us and leading us into the way of truth. It is so easy to swing on both sides of the pendulum. Jesus, you always lead us to the radical middle where we obey your principles, but we're gracious about the application. Thank you so much for people who are here today who are hurting, who have been hurt by rules, but are willing to give you a second chance. God, may today and moving forward, may they find what they're searching for. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.